0: Good evening, everybody. Nice, you guys are like cheering for me, you have no idea who I am. You're like, yeah, he's gonna speak, awesome. We don't know what he's gonna say yet. We don't know, we don't know. You're gonna find out in a second. Uh, First of all, my name is John, uh, and I used to be uh, what is an intern, I know they like to change the name, ministry, apprentice, program, whatever it is, it's an intern, sorry, you're an intern. I was an intern with, uh, uh, former young adults pastor many years ago and Then after finished that was in a uh with Freddie, which is how I wound up here tonight Freddie was like hey, do you mind filling in I'm gonna be gone and uh, I was like sure why not so uh, I am filling in tonight. I was in MERS. I graduated in 2020, which feels like forever ago already. And after I graduated, I began to work with my family. My dad started a construction company uh, 35 years ago, and me being the oldest decided I was going to take the longest amount of time before I started working with the rest of my family. So all of my brothers, either right out of high school or shortly after, began working in, in the business, and I took a way longer time than that to decide that that's where I was going to be for the time being. Uh, we're going to be continuing Numbers chapter 11, so you can turn there in your Bibles. Uh, before we jump into the text, though, we live in a world that's filled with warning signs. So we have warning signs on coffee cups because McDonald doesn't want you to sue them when you spill your coffee on them. Uh, you, we live in a world where we ignore warning signs. You see that little check engine light come on in your car and you're like, I'm a broke college student. I got nothing. So you put a little piece of black tape over that thing because then if you can't see it, it's not there, right? So no warning signs for engine lights. But we live in a world where these warning signs, sometimes they do mean something. So if you are driving on a a highway and it's icy, like the Hala, and snowy, and you see those signs that say, you know, hill ahead, Great Bear, Snowshed Hill coming up, and you're like, eh, no big deal. I got, like, my junker car, we're great, we're good. And then that thing turns into ice skates because you decided to ignore that sign. So there are warning signs that yes, we understand, eh, not really a big of a deal. And then there are warning signs that we know, if we don't take seriously, are going to actually cause us significant problems. The text we're going to look at today is actually a warning sign for us. And I say that because this is what the Apostle Paul says about this section of the book of Numbers. In 1 Corinthians, when Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, he says that what was written about the Israelites when they wandered in the wilderness is a warning for us. And so we're going to spend some time in this passage today studying the wrath of God as a warning for us living in this world today. So I'm going to read the text and then we'll study it together. Numbers 11, starting in verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord. And the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. So, this first section, verses 1 through 3, we're not going to really spend a lot of time looking at it. I just want to highlight that this is basically a summary for the, the next number of chapters that, that follow it. Where the people complain, and God pours out judgment. The people complain, God pours out judgment. They cry out to God through Moses, and God relents. That's the pattern. So, verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had more meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its appearance like that of bdellium, The people went about and gathered it and ground it in handmills or beat it in mortars and and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have not I not found favor in your sight, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to go get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once if I find favor in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people, and officers over them, and bring them down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you, And put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days, or five days, or ten days, or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? But Moses said, the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot and you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough for them? And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied but they did not continue doing it. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp, and a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side and a day's journey on the other side around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. And the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail those who gathered least gathered 10 homers and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was yet between their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hattava because there they buried the people who had the craving. From Kibroth Hattava, the people journeyed to Hazaroth and they remained at Hazaroth. We're gonna study this passage in Look at it in three different uh, ways. We're going to look at how God's wrath is kindled, how God's wrath is promised, and God's wrath is executed. And you're like, I'm so glad I came tonight. We're going to talk about God's wrath all night. Awesome. So, verses 4 through 6, God's wrath is kindled. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving... And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we had in Egypt that cost us nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. So a little bit of the context here. So this is about a year after the people of Israel have come out of Egypt. And if you don't know that story, a little background, the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. They didn't like being of slaves in Egypt, so they cried out to God that they would be freed. God sent Moses. Moses through God's hand working powerfully through the 10 plagues, freed the people from Egypt, brought them through the, the Red Sea, and then brought them to Mount Sinai. And this story is as they are about to leave Mount Sinai. So they've been in the wilderness for about a year. And it is at this moment, as they're about to leave, that they begin to complain to God. And they say things like, we wish we were back in Egypt. We wish we had all the food that we had in Egypt. And you're supposed to be like, are you guys nuts? Like, you guys remember you were slaves, right? Like, that was, that was good for you? That's, that's not where you want to go back to. Like, imagine... You lived in one of the tent cities that we see around, right, because housing sucks and it's crazy unaffordable, but you live in one of these tent cities, and one day you're like, God, I just wish I had a house to live in, and God's like, okay, great, so he sends somebody to you specifically, and he's like, okay, I, I got this great place for you, okay, it's, it's no longer a tent, we're going to give you a place up on Eagle Mountain, okay, and in that house, it's gonna be fully stocked pantry. We're gonna give you a chef, like the whole deal. And you're like, awesome. And you're like, okay, God, when, when are we gonna get there? And God's like, well, it's gonna be a little bit of a journey. You're gonna to have to leave the tent city behind, and you're gonna to have to come with me. And so you're on this journey now with God, and he's like, yeah, we're gonna get you there. I promised this to you. And like, shortly into this journey, you're like, man, I just wanna go back to my tent. I just, it was, it was comfortable. I had a sleeping bag in there. I had some like leftover like pita pit or something. <laughs> like that's the kind of, like that's what's going on here. These people are, have like totally lost what God has promised them and are wanting to go back. And they are complaining against God. But the actual problem is not their complaining. That's what we see presented. That's how they talk about it. But God actually tells us the real problem is something deeper. In verse 20, it says, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? So notice, the complaining is what's up here, the fruit but the root of it is actually a rejection of God. So the people's first step is rejecting God and that's what leads them to complain against God. In our lives, our sin, what we see presented, our pride, our lust, our arrogance, our gossip, whatever that is, that's the fruit, that's what's presented. The root of it is that we have rejected God. That is the first step. You go and look at the Ten Commandments. The first one is, you shall have no other gods before me. This is what he gave to the people of Israel at Sinai. And all the other nine commandments, two through ten, can only be broken if you break that first one first, if you reject God as God. That is what leads to all the other things in your life. When I was a, a kid, uh, my mom would have us do chores outside on Saturdays. And one of the things I hated most was weeding the garden. Yeah, exactly. That. That's, that was me. I'm like, oh, mom, really? Okay. All right. Here we go. And I would drag my feet and then eventually I would... I'd start picking out the like little green non-flower things in the garden because that's how I identify them. They're not flowers. (laughs) That's how I knew not to pick them. There was one time when I was like four that I actually was like, I'm going to go weed my neighbor's garden and I pulled out all the flowers. (laughs) Not a good idea. I don't recommend. But anyway, so I'm picking weeds and some of the first few times I did it, I would just start like grabbing the like little green leaves off it and I'd be like, mom, picking the weeds. She's like, no, you're not she's like you actually got to like dig it out a little bit and grab it and then you pull this weed out and then there's like this little bit of weed above the dirt and then like below it there's this root that's like this long that's the problem the problem is not this that's the presenting problem the real problem is the rejection of God the root of the problem and it is this rejection of God that causes the wrath of God to be kindled. Verse 10 and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly. When somebody breaks a command, the correct response is actually anger. That your wrath is kindled. So I was two, three years old, my mom, we had this dining room off the kitchen. I don't know if this still exists, but we had this dining room off the kitchen. Nobody eats in it, nobody sits in it. No, you look at the dining room. It's got the fancy china in it that you're not allowed to touch. Don't know why we have it, you just can't touch it. Even at Thanksgiving, when like, you bring out all the nice utensils, the china still stays in the dining room. I don't, I don't understand this. Um, but my mom was like, do not go in the dining room. And I'm three years old. And so I'm like, watch this, Mom. So the door to the dining room is here. I'm standing in the kitchen. And I decide I'm just going to put my foot kind of like midway over the line. And then, to top it all off, I look up at my mom with this like little grin on my face. Like, okay, Mom, what are you going to do? I'm not in the dining room. And my mom got so angry at me. Rightfully so, because... I was testing the line. I was crossing the line. I was breaking the command. See, when we reject God, God's wrath is rightly kindled. When we reject God, we are actually rejecting what we were made for. See, rejection of God is just not some random um, command that we are breaking. God gives us this command because it's what's best for us. The one who made us determines what's best for us. And what is best for us is to worship God as God, to submit to him as God. And when we do not do that, we break that command and God's wrath is rightly kindled. So where are you rejecting God? Maybe you're not a believer and you have said, look, you know what? I don't want anything to do with God, right? Your rejection of God kindles his wrath. And look, maybe you are following God, but there are areas of your life where you have not submitted, where you've said, God, I want to be my own God in this area. Or God, I think I know best. And God's wrath is kindled against that rejection of him being Lord. So, how have you rejected God? How have you kindled the wrath of God? The second thing we see is that God's wrath is promised. So, God's wrath is kindled. And then God's wrath is promised. He promises to bring about his wrath. Verses 18 through 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow and you shall eat meat for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us meat to eat for it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two or five days or 10 or 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord God who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? See, God, after his wrath is kindled, promises to bring wrath. And the reason he does this is because God hates wickedness. God hates it when we rebel, when we reject him. It is wicked. That's not something that's popular to say, right? We talk about God as love, and yet the revelation of Scripture is that God hates wickedness. In Psalm 5, verses 4 through 6, David writes, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. See, God hates wicked people. He hates those that are deceitful because they have rebelled against him. Look, I didn't make that up. We're reading God's word. And when God's wrath is kindled, he promises to execute or to bring about wrath. So, just a couple of passages that show this. Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. Who is this who comes from Edom? This is Isaiah seeing someone coming towards him from Edom. He says, Who is this who comes from Eden? Edom in crimsoned garments from Basra? Who is he who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength? And the Lord responds, It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Isaiah asks, why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress?" I have trodden the winepress alone, says the Lord, and from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood spattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. For the day of vengeance was in my heart and my year of redemption had come. I looked, but there was no one to help. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation and my wrath upheld me. I trampled them down in the peoples in my anger. I made them drunk in my wrath and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. God gives a really graphic picture of what his judgment's going to look like. So if you don't get the image, someone who treads the winepress is someone who stomps on the grapes and that grape juice would spatter the bottom of their garment. This is the image that God gives Isaiah of what his wrath is going to look like. It's not a pretty picture. And if you think, okay, well, that was just the Old Testament. God, you know, in Jesus, God is different. God is love. He's, you know, he's not all about that judgment. Well, let's turn to the book of Revelation where John, who is seeing Jesus as he truly is in his glorified state says this revelation 19 verse 11 then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war He's talking about Jesus his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, Jesus is the one who carries out God's wrath that is promised. When Jesus returns, the wrath of God will be poured out on those who have rejected him. God has promised it, it's going to happen. But there's this like in between time, right? We have God's wrath being promised and then we see in Revelation God's wrath being finally poured out. But that's not there, we're not there yet. So like what do we do in in this like in between? Well the answer is repent. Repent, turn from your rejection of God. Repent and turn back to God. There's this great story. Uh, One of the prophets, Jonah, he he gets a call from God to go to Nineveh. And God says, go to Nineveh and proclaim that I am going to bring wrath upon them. And so Jonah's like, I'm not going, God. I'm going in the other direction. And God has him thrown overboard three days in a fish, spits him up back on the land. And Jonah's like, fine, I'll go to Nineveh, God, because, you know, I don't have a choice. So he goes to Nineveh. And he gets to Nineveh and he preaches, yet three days and this city will be destroyed. And that's all we know about Jonah's sermon to the Ninevites three days and the Lord will destroy this city. And as the Ninevites hear that, they have a three day window between promise of judgment and execution of judgment. And what do they do in those three days? They repent. They put on sackcloth and sit in ashes and tear their clothes, which is signs of mourning and repentance. And so what does God do? He relents. God turns away from pouring out his wrath on the Ninevites. And Jonah's all upset about this. It's crazy. Jonah's like, see, God, I knew you were like this. I knew you would relent if they repented. That's why I didn't want to go. And you're like, Jonah, you wanted to see a whole city wiped off the map? And God's like, no, I'm like, people, turn to me and I will have mercy. Repent of our rejection and God has mercy. He will relent. So God's judgment is promised. God's wrath is promised. And then lastly, God's wrath is executed. Verse 31. Then a wind from the Lord sprang up, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on that side, around the camp, and about two cubits above the ground. Now, that is great for us. We're like, that, I don't know. So imagine from here to, like, Willowbrook Mall, quail two feet deep. Three feet deep, sorry. And a circle that that big that's how much quail God brings for the people of Israel this is a judgment on them oh you wanted quail okay here you go here's some quail and the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail those who gathered least gathered 10 homers this is like 220 liters worth so like a lot And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. They prepare this so that they have like all of this meat so that they can just like keep it with them and eat it as they want. And while the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had the craving. And from Kibroth Hathavah, the people journeyed to Hazaroth and they remained at Hazaroth. See, God executes the wrath that he has promised. He promised to give them quail and so much quail that it would come out their noses. And that's exactly what he does. And in the midst of that, he strikes them with a great plague. God's wrath is executed on the people of Israel for their rejection of him. So the reality is that God's wrath is going to be executed. It's either going to be executed in the return of Christ or the good news is is that it's already been executed. There is one. His name is Jesus. And he bore the cup of God's wrath. The wrath of God was executed on Jesus. So Before Jesus is crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he's praying to God, and he's sweating drops of blood because of the distress that is on him. And he asks God this, God, if it be your will, would you take this cup from me? Now, what is that cup? That cup is the wrath of God. Another image from the Old Testament is that God is going to make the people drink from the cup of his wrath. And Jesus is about to drink that cup and says, Please God, if possible. And then he submits to God Not my will, but your will be done. And so Jesus willingly gives himself up to an unjust trial, to mocking, to being spit on, to being beaten to the point where his flesh is torn from his body, tortured, and then given a crossbeam to walk through town as more people could mock him. And then he gets to the place at the end of this journey, and they have him put the crossbeam down, and then they lay him on the crossbeam. And as they lay him down, they put nails through his hands. And then they put his feet on this crossbeam, and they nail his feet to this cross, and then they stand this cross up, drop it into the ground, so that one of the most horrific ways that humanity has found to kill a person, Jesus suffers. The wrath of God is poured out on Christ. And the reason that this happens is so that all who would turn from their rejection of God, all who would repent and run back to God would receive mercy, Would receive forgiveness of their rebellion, would not only receive forgiveness, but all that blessing that Jesus had actually earned because he was righteous is given to those who deserve his wrath. Jesus stands there and says, All the people who will turn to me, I will bear their wrath. The wrath of God will be executed on me in their place, and those who turn will go free. See, we don't have to experience the wrath of God because one has already experienced it for us. So repent. This is a warning like I said, like Paul said. So heed the warning. Repent, turn. Don't wait. Repent today. Receive grace wherever you are rejecting God. Repent. That is... What God is calling us to. When um, there's earthquakes in Japan, if there's a tsunami that's coming, they'll play a, a siren for all the people to flee to higher ground. And if people don't heed that warning, they will be met with a wall of water that they will not be able to escape. But if they do heed that warning, they will be on high ground and the water will not hurt them. Heed the warning today. The wrath of God is promised because we have kindled the wrath of God by our rejection of him. So turn to him and repent and know that the wrath that we deserve was executed on Christ so that we may go free when Christ returns and sing the praises of our king who has saved us from his wrath. I'm gonna invite the team back up. I'm gonna pray for us quick. Heavenly Father, your wrath is terrible and rightly kindled because of our rejection of you. Father, would we heed the warning this evening? Would your spirit cause us to turn to you? Spirit, would you open eyes? Would you change hearts? Father, would you welcome us as we repent? Father, would you show us mercy? In Jesus' name. Amen.